For the last two weeks, we have been talking about spiritual temperaments, and this is part three of that series. It's the last part. Hopefully, we'll try to bring some of this together. The last two weeks, we've been talking about how people are unique. We have unique temperaments, and they appear to be God-given. Some people are more introverted. Some are more extroverted. Some people are more spontaneous. Others are more structured. Some people lead with their hearts. Others lead with their minds. And if we take a close look at the scriptures, actually, if we take not even so close a look at the scriptures, we see that there were a wide variety of temperaments that were drawn to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth did not just draw one narrow demographic or group to himself. There were a wide range of people who were drawn to this man. The disciple Matthew was a very different person than the disciple John. You can see it in how they write. And not only can you see it in how they write, but in the, the accounts that they give, you've got Matthew describing this Roman centurion who is very different than this Pharisee named Nicodemus that John describes in his gospel. You've got Mary and Martha. You have Peter and Paul. You have so many others from very diverse temperaments that were all drawn to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' own temperament was multifaceted enough to fascinate a wide spectrum of individuals. And I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes. We've been talking about this one for a couple weeks here. In fact, if you're playing fill in the blank and you've been here, you've already got this one. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And as a result... Even today, you have academics and activists and artists and athletes and philosophers and politicians and soldiers and pacifists. You have people from just about every temperament there is who are still drawn to Jesus of Nazareth. We want more of what Jesus had, those of us who are drawn to him. When Jesus of Nazareth spoke, he spoke with conviction that went all the way to his core. People said he speaks with authority. He really believed this. Jesus not only knew how to pray, but he knew when to pray. And when he prayed, he knew what God's answer was. Who doesn't want that? Jesus also remained grounded and grateful regardless of what came at him. Regardless of the circumstances, Jesus stayed grounded. Jesus stayed grateful. He had this vibrant multifaceted walk with God that was intriguing and still is today. Jesus encountered God both in groups and in solitude. Jesus encountered God in the scripture and in songs. Jesus encountered God in the temple and in a garden. Jesus encountered God as he fed the hungry and as he tended to people's hearts. And there's those of us, we want more of the fullness of God. We want more of what he had. And I believe that's why the scriptures challenge us to pursue Christ-likeness, because in Christ, the fullness of God dwelt. There's a place to write this in your notes. This is one of the key themes you see in the scriptures. Just Christians, we're challenged to pursue Christ-likeness, to have what Paul refers to as the in-Christ experience. And that's not just a one-time experience. That's the ongoing experience, to be in Christ. And here's the thing about pursuing Christ-likeness. We really pressed into this last week. As we pursue Christ-likeness, we become more uniquely ourselves. 
As we conform to the image of Christ, not only is there more common ground between us, but we also become more uniquely ourselves. And we put these three examples up on the screen last week. We've got Mother Teresa, Beth Moore, and Carrie Job. And as each of us sets out to follow Jesus, our individual walk won't look the same as you see in these three. Every believer is called to care and serve for others, every one of us. But Beth Moore isn't called to be Mother Teresa because God called who to be Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa. Every believer is to ground themselves in biblical truth. Every believer should have what Paul says is sound doctrine, every one of us. But Carrie Job isn't called to be Beth Moore. Who's called to be Beth Moore? Beth Moore. Our unique talents and temperaments, they are God-given, and as we follow Jesus, we become more like him, and we become more uniquely ourselves. So there's where we've been. That's weeks one and two in 12 minutes. So here we have, gives me only 18 minutes to get all the rest. Here we go. Okay, this is the new stuff, and it's not new to most of you. You know this, but we would be remiss not to, 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 to give you this piece of this series. And that is this. And there's a place to write this in your notes. While we're called to follow Jesus as unique individuals, we are also called to walk this journey together. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Our goal as individuals is to become more uniquely like Christ. Our goal as Christians is to become more like Christ together. And that is a challenge. As one of my colleagues once put it, it is a challenge to walk side by side when we don't see eye to eye. Our primary text for this series that we've been in has been the book of Ephesians. And there's all kinds of things that are, that are there in Ephesians, but one of them is the theme of unity in Christ. It is there from beginning to end. Unity in Christ. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the very first verse, the very first chapter, Ephesians 1.1. Look how Paul addresses this. After Paul says, hi, it's Paul, he says this. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. So there's that in Christ piece. We're to be in Christ. We're to become like Christ. But he addresses this not to some individual small subset. He says to all of you Christians in Ephesus. And that's how he writes his letters. When he wrote to the Romans, he wrote to the Christians in Rome. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to the Christians in Corinth. It's how he did it. He was very, very concerned that Christians remain united in Christ. Unity in Christ is a theme that is woven throughout this book, both implicitly, implicitly and explicitly. And sometimes it's subtle, like it was there in Ephesians 1.1. And then there's other times Paul just takes a whole large section of this relatively short letter, and he just presses into that topic. If you have your Bibles, take a look at uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11, some of your Bibles might have a little header above that. Do you Bible have a little header above that? All right. My header says this. We'll put it on the screens. My header says one in Christ. That's because this whole section is about what? Being one in Christ. So he's got this relatively short letter, and not only does he weave the theme throughout it, he takes up big sections 
and he devotes it to this topic of unity in Christ. And in the very next chapter, Paul unpacks the great mystery of the gospel. And what does he do? He links the great mystery of the gospel to unity in Christ. Let me show you a prayer that we've showed you for the last couple weeks, but now let me give you a little bit that comes afterwards. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so far, so good. We've already covered that. But look what he says. Then he says, to him be the glory in the what? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. When Paul prays that we may be filled with the fullness of God, he prays that God's glory may be manifest in the church. Now, we could go on a whole off on a whole related tangent here about this word church. The English word church that's used here can throw us off because somewhere along the line, someone did a bad translation and they took the German word that we get church from and they used that German word to translate the Greek word. The Greek word is not about a building and that's really what that German word meant. The German word meant a sacred facility where, whereas the original word was about the the original word was, was the assembly. It was the, 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 the folks. It was God in our midst as we came together. That's what the word originally meant. And this word that's translated here as church doesn't refer to a subset of the Christians in Ephesus. Uh, if uh, I've got an ESV study Bible here in mind. It gives us a little commentary that's very accurate on this, this particular verse. On, in 321, it says this. When Paul conceives of the church, he conceives of it as a unified whole, not as isolated entities. So when Paul is using the word church, he's not saying, okay, this building over here, or even this congregation over here, sometimes it refers to Christians meeting in small groups, sometimes in big groups, and often all of us everywhere throughout history. So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, rich word. All right, well, right after Paul prays for the indwelling of Christ, which we just read in our hearts through faith, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. He says, boy, may his glory be manifest in the church. Okay, so right after this, again, huge sections here. If you turn to Ephesians 4, verse 1, Take a look at that. Do anyone have a header above that one in your Bibles? Anyone have a header? Okay, my header above that one says unity in the body of Christ. And I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a, a stack of them at that table there and at that table in the back, and they're there for you. Please take one. We'd love to give it to you as a gift. All right, unity in the body of Christ. So here's another big section where Paul uh, takes this on and presses into this idea of unity in the body of Christ. Here's a, a look at the opening verses from this section. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Okay, so far so good, but look what he says about living a life worthy of the calling you've received. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. 
Now, if we had time, it would be fascinating to link what he says up here to what he says in his letter to the Corinthians, because there's so much overlap. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul goes this far when it comes to the baptism piece, where it says one baptism here. In that letter, he goes this far. He says, I am glad I didn't, I didn't baptize any of you, except you and you and you, <laughs> because you're, you're, you're turning that into a thing. You're turning baptism into a thing. You're, you're turning it into, I was baptized by Paul. Oh, yeah, well, I was baptized by Apollos. And it became a thing. Who was baptizing you? And so Paul asks in that letter, he goes, is Christ divided? Were you baptized into the name of Apollos or Cephas or Paul? And he could say to us today, were you baptized into the Catholic Church? Were you baptized into the Lutheran Church? Were you baptized into a Baptist Church? Were you baptized into a Covenant Church? No, you were baptized into Christ. Amen? Amen. You were baptized into Christ. Again, if you still have your Bibles open, look at that passage again, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, there is one baptism, there is one God. Don't let the non-essentials divide you. Will there be things that separate those who are in Christ from those who are not in Christ? Yes. God is not all things to all people. There is one God. But don't let the non-essentials divide you. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received, and that will necessitate humility and patience, especially with those who don't like the same music you like, especially with those who would preference a different sermon or who wish things should be different you know, or customize around you. There's going to be a whole lot of bearing one another in love. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. Look at this. And Christ gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all obtain fullness of Christ. Now, there is so much going on in this passage, as is always the case in the scriptures. Now, one of them is this, and and you, you would miss it unless you had a chance to look at all of Paul's letters. In fact, I encourage you, if you're taking notes, write down Ephesians 4, 11, Write down Ephesians 4.11 and then put uh, cross-reference 1 Corinthians 12.28. Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.28. What's interesting about this is there's a nod to the Trinity here that you would miss unless you, you look at both of his letters. Because in this passage, Paul is saying, and Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. In the 1 Corinthians passage, it says God gave the apostles and the teachers. So there's this nod to the Trinity here where you've got this this unity, this diverse unity that exists between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you've got that whole layer going on here. And there's another layer in this passage where there's this metaphor of a body. And that's a topic that we press into directly at different times. A body is made up of individual, distinct parts that are all working together. So there's a subtle trinity layer here, which is diversity and unity. There's a body metaphor here, uh, diversity and unity. And then there's the explicit teaching that says, hey, I gifted you as individuals so that together you can experience the fullness of Christ. Now, this isn't only about letting doctrine divide us. 
This is also about letting spiritual temperaments divide us. We don't want to have any of these things that are non-essential divide us. They're all here to help us experience more of the fullness of Christ. And yet our natural tendency as fallen people is to surround ourselves with others who are more like us and to push away those who aren't like us. What the Bible teaches us is really, really hard to do. Raise your hand if you are always completely, what did Paul say, completely humble and gentle. <laughs> Boldly put that hand up if you are completely <laughs> humble and gentle. All right, raise your hand if you're always patient with others who aren't like you. Raise your hand if you always make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, right, man. <laughs> what the Bible teaches about unity is really, really, really hard to do, and I believe God did that on purpose because it's going to help iron sharpen iron. And what we tend to do is we separate ourselves from those who aren't like us. May I present to you that that's not biblical? Unless there is a spirit-led, distinct reason why you, God has called you to try to reach a unique group, then go for it. But in general, I believe we're supposed to try to work it out as God's family. I believe we're supposed to try to work it out. There's a great quote from the book Sacred Pathways that we've been referencing throughout this series. Listen to what the author says. He says, instead of listening, and, or I should say learning, I guess it's both, but instead of learning from others, Christians have often chosen to segregate themselves by starting a new church whenever worship preferences diverge. This segregation has erected denominational walls and look, look what he says here, impoverished many Christians. Why impoverished many Christians? Because unless you happen to be born into just the right tradition, you've been brought up to feed on someone else's diet. If you've ever been in a situation where you're like, everybody in this room is very different. It seems like I'm supposed to, everyone's supposed to worship this way. Or there's only, this is the right teaching, and I'm not connecting at all with that. Maybe you've felt that before, impoverished. Now, we have got a long, 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 long way to go before we arrive on this. But it did my heart so good last week when I asked for the show of hands for the different temperaments. And we had... A few hands for this temperament, and a few hands for this temperament, and a few hands from this. And every one of the nine that he laid out, we had people raising their hands for. And the other thing I noticed is we didn't have one temperament where every hand went up. And I think that's healthy, too. I think that's healthy, too. And Daniel, I was going to try to find you before the service to ask permission to share the story. Uh, thumbs up. Put you on the spot there. Um, Daniel comes up. He, you guys have been coming about how long? to our church, maybe six months, something like that. All right, they've been coming about six months to our church. And he came up after the service and we had talked about the denomination we're part of. And he said, this is gonna sound, like it's not a compliment, but it is. He said, this is the most non-denominational church I've ever been to. I'm like, that is one of the best compliments we could ever have. Because what he meant by that was, we aren't waving our banner of Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, Covenant, it's about Jesus Christ. And the reason we're linked up with any denomination is because we should have accountability, I believe. That there's someone that has real accountability from the outside that can speak into us as a body and say, what are you doing? Right? And that we can do more together. And everyone says that, you know, oh yeah, no, we're part of the, church, the Christians. Well, who are you walking with? Who are you partnering with day to day? 
You know, and so to be a part of something where we're together and we are in a real partnership, we're planting new churches together, we're doing missions together, we're doing camps together, we're doing things we couldn't do alone. Wow, thank you for being willing to say that to us. That, that's great. So way to go. One of the things we're trying really, 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 really hard to do as a church is be a community church. As much as it depends on us, we're going to try really hard to say, if we were the church in Shoreview, would we be welcoming all Christians, all sincere people who want to know Jesus Christ? Not trying to say we are the church in Shoreview. We'll never say that. But if we were the church in Shoreview, the only one, if we were, would we be welcoming every sincere follower of Jesus Christ? I would, want, I would hope that we would, that we'd be coming more like Christ together. So that's why we don't have a narrow target market. We're not a charismatic congregation, but we're not a non-charismatic congregation. We're not a traditional congregation, but we're not setting out to be a non-traditional congregation. We're setting out to follow Jesus as best we can in this missional setting where God has called us to be. It sure be a lot easier to choose one or the other, wouldn't it? It would be so much easier to say, this is the type of music we play all the time. This is the type of teaching we do all the time. It'd be so much easier. This is the demographic. We are for only, we are all about young families. We're all about teens. We're all about young adults. We're all about the boomers. We're trying to be about the community, the Church of Jesus Christ in this area as best we can. So as we close the series on walking out our unique spiritual pathways, let me quickly offer three thoughts on how we can do this well together. Thought number one, please put the family first on Sundays. As much as it depends on me, I will do my absolute best to try to work with the team so that we're engaging about 80% of the people about 100% of the time. That's my internal language. We're going to try to pick topics and do things at about 80%, about 100%. We'll do our best. But there will be times where it doesn't hit you. There will be. I, I heard, I think it was Jill maybe that told me a story once about this pastor and he got done giving a sermon and on his way out, a member of the congregation came up and said, Pastor, I gotta be honest with you. I didn't get anything out of that sermon today. And the pastor looked at him and said, I didn't know it was about you. <laughs> it was supposed to be about you. As individuals, may I present to you, you have 166 hours during the week to, pr to pursue your unique spiritual pathway. When we come together, we're, we're trying to do a lot of things. We're trying to be the family when we come together for this unique thing for about an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, about two hours including travel time and all that, okay? We, we, we're doing the best we can. On a Sunday morning, we are trying our best to come alongside some people who are really broken. And there, there are times where we, we, we just have to address and press into that. We're also a church where we've got a lot of people who are fired up and saying, bring it, bring it, bring it. Come on, raise the challenge bar. So we're trying to do that. We're trying to bring a word from God to people who are brand new to Christianity. People who, when I've given them a Bible, they say, what are these numbers for? Right, in the Bible. And then we've also got people here who have far more advanced degrees than I do in theology. We have intellectuals and contemplatives. We have traditionalists and enthusiasts. We have naturalists and contemplatives. We have those who don't like distractions and those who are distracted by simplicity. If we're going to be a community church, we need to attend as best we can to the family. Are you with me on that? Can we do that? Can we put the family first 
on Sundays. All right, thank you. Well, besides the obvious benefit to others, one of the advantages of being part of a community church is that you're going to be challenged to try some things. You're going to be exposed to things that you wouldn't be if it was one target market that we address to. So that's why number two is this. Step outside your comfort zone. One of the, one of the ways you can contribute to community is, is try some of these things. Try to, try, to, try to go there when we're going deeper and we're talking about Greek this and context that. And, and try some of these. Try to step outside your comfort zone. You know, because you know human character, when, the, when amazing grace was introduced for the first time, I know there was some dude sitting in the back going, what's with the new stuff? Right? <laughs> you know that there was somebody there doing that. That's, that's human nature, but we're trying to pursue Christ's likeness. So what if we tried to expand who we are? The sincere pursuit of unity in Christ can save us from our own short-sightedness. As we gather with other sincere Christ followers who aren't like us, we might be inspired to consider aspects of Christ's character that we otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. But you can only take that so far. Here's number three. We're really close to the end. If you want to contribute to community, there are going to be times you have to do this. Please read this with me. Temper your own temperament. There will be times where we need to temper our own temperament. We want this to be a place where there is freedom to explore and express and try to experience the fullness of Christ. There will be times where it's inappropriate if you're a 85 in one area on a scale of one to one, you're going to have to bring, dial it back a little bit. Because if we don't, we can get in trouble in certain situations. I remember a time Laura was there for this one, and some of you might have been too. I was leading a worship service, and our regular worship uh, leader was gone that Sunday. And so people were like, oh, you got to bring this person, bring in this person. I'm like, okay, we'll bring in this person. I, uh, mistake. Because um, this person got in and, and, and asked a question like, who loves bright sunny days? And every hand went up and he said, now, with that same spirit of praise, keep that hand in the air as we continue to sing. And I'm like, oh, you know what my hand did? And you know who never got asked to come back and lead worship at our... That was kind of passive aggressive, but, you know, I... <laughs> with hindsight, but... <laughs> But, but I have zero tolerance for that because the goal is not to get every hand in the air. That does not mean we've reached our goal because every hand is in the air any more than the goal is to get every hand down because that's more seeker sensitive. The goal is freedom in worship, tempered, tempered, tempered. I had a flashback last week. Um, Whoever put the soundtrack together, they had a song that the chorus goes, I found Jesus. And I had a flashback to being in Estes Park, Colorado. Anyone been to Estes Park? One of the most beautiful places on the planet. So here we are at the YMCA of the Rockies, and it's a youth conference once every three years. And we're here in the Rockies with these teenagers, and the worship band is singing, I found Jesus. And here are all these students who are experiencing new life in Christ singing, I found Jesus. And there was this holy huddle men who huddled together afterwards, intellectuals, and said, you know, that doctrine is not sound. It is Jesus who finds us. It is not us who find Jesus. And they go to war with the worship band. We're in Estes Park. Teenagers are singing, I found Jesus. Dude, temper your own temperament. Right? Temper your temperament. Wow, one of the marks I may present to you one of the marks of maturity in Christ 
is that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And with patience and humility, you set out to love others like you love yourself. And if you wouldn't want someone else breathing down your shoulder because you're sincerely trying to experience God, dial it back. Dial it back. Imagine a church with those who are more inwardly reflective and they see someone who is more demonstrative. They can just smile and say, isn't that awesome that that person's experiencing God? And wouldn't it be awesome to, to be in a church where when someone is just in quiet, calm, their mouth might not even be moving, but they're just, they're just soaking it in. And the people whose hands in the air are thinking, isn't it awesome that they're experiencing God? And wouldn't it be even more awesome if we weren't looking around? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be the best? Where we're just saying, isn't it awesome that there is a God who cares about us and sent his only son to die on our behalf that while we were still sinners, we could be made right with God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine now, not just what that could do as individuals, but imagine the witness that could be to this world because this world is getting more and more polarized all the time. Imagine what a witness it would be if they saw in us diverse people who are all fixed on Christ. Let me close with this story. Um, the, when I was at a pastor's meeting last weekend, the director from Minnehaha, the president from Minnehaha, she got up and she shared, and, and she shared this story. She said, sunflowers are cool, she said. Well, her words were better than mine, but sunflowers are cool. She says, one of the cool things about a sunflower is that it tracks the sun across the sky. And, you know, she made the obvious connection there of imagine if people could see in you that you had your eyes fixed on the Son of God. And then she said, what's even more amazing is to see a whole field of sunflowers tracking that sun across the sky. And what if a polarized world could see in us a group of diverse people who don't get each other half the time, but our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we're tracking Amen? All right, let's close with that. <laughs> let's close with that. All right, God, thank you that you have created this awesome world full of so much richness and so much diversity, and thank you that you didn't make us as clones. Thank you, Lord, that there's all these discoveries to be made. Thank you for the changing of seasons. Thank you for mountaintops and deep valleys, and thank you for making the different races and ethnicities and putting us all around the world, and thank you, God, that you call us and you challenge us and you command us to pursue unity in Christ because not only are we going to learn more about ourselves and our brothers and sisters, we're going to learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.